Episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where out of print is available again. Dice Envy, because let's face it, you aren't the problem, it must be your dice. And listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links, and to our patrons to support us directly at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Misconceptions, you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D unless you want to. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm your co-host, Sam Dillon, and in this episode, number 308, we're going to let fly the power that flows within us as we discuss sorcerers. You know, you get into that a lot more than Tracy. I always try to give her crazy things to say, and she always goes all mellow. Well, I, <laughs> I play a cobalt sorcerer, so you know. There you go, there you go. All right, and joining us for this episode is our class master from Tribality.com. Welcome back, Brandis Stoddard. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here this evening. And this is a class that you are an extra expert in because you've done some writing in this class as well, right? Uh, yes, I have a PDF called Three Sorceress Arts that I released through Tribality Publishing. Right on. And so it that's, that's going to give Three what? Sorceress classes. Yeah, three new uh, origins. <clears throat> And uh, a collection of magic items for, you know, built for sorcerers as well. Sweet. And also on board with us this time around is our returning champion, the Reverend Lewis Brinton. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Glad to be on my favorite podcast again. Yay! Oh, Glad wow. to be your favorite. That's favorite. The way to do it. There's a lot of competition out there. We we won you over by having you on the show, though, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm just glad to contribute. I'm a long-time listener, and I've been glad to be involved these last couple of years with you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, good. We're all in my you. Lewis and I are going to start back up the uh, the bonus action podcast. Are you? For those, yes! For those of you that don't know. Fear us. Yeah, That's fear awesome. us. We are, we are to be feared. <laughs> in any case, this episode is the continuation of our class series examining each class in depth. And since our patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show helped point us uh, to the order for the last few classes, in other words, they got to have their say so that we could figure out which one to do when and what next. Right. Uh, special thanks goes out to uh, Keith Bryan, Jill Sanders, Leonard Peltier, Jeremiah McCoy, Matt Bible, and Doug Palmer. Thanks for the support, folks, and for helping us figure out what you'd like to hear next. And next up, we'll be doing a two-part look at Wizards. You know, that's such a huge class. There's a lot of subclasses. We just, we already know it's going to take more than one episode, so we're already planning for two. There you go. And after that, I think we've been convinced to do uh, an episode after we've done all the classes to do a multi-classing episode, so. Mm. In mm. fact, Brandis, didn't you also recommend that? I do indeed recommend that. So I, I think, think there's I... enough to say about fighter mages to there cover an episode by itself. There you go. So we'll, we'll make sure that Brandis comes back and shares all those thoughts and, and along with some other folks and we talk about multi-classing after we're done with all the classes. But before we tap into the power of our own blood, we want to mention our sponsors. First up is our longest running sponsor. They are a brick and mortar store as well as an online game store that specializes in finding out of print products. My pick for the episode from noblenight.com is the Creature Codex 
by Kobold Press. This is a follow-up to their excellent Tome of Beast book uh, with even more monsters to pull from to bring variety to your game. Uh, hopefully, uh, later on, we'll get a chance to actually do a review of it. But either way, even if we don't, uh, you know that Kobold knows how to make monsters. And if you need some more options don't wait for, and don't want to wait for us to review it, you can go pick it up from Noble Knight today. It's about $10 off the suggested price from Noble Knight for uh, a brand new book. And if you end up picking that up or anything else, make sure to let them know that the Tome Show sent you. In an election year, gamers can be divided on almost every issue. Is it more important to support a small business or to have the convenience of buying your gaming products online? Do you play shiny new systems full of epic awesome or gritty older out-of-print games that make even the groggiest of nards quake with fear? In this economy, is it time to stock up on as many high-quality discounted gaming products as possible, or is it time to sell the old gaming products you aren't using anymore? We are divided on every important issue. So in 2016, you should support the store that lets you do it all. Noble Knight, a brick-and-mortar small business with a strong online presence that has new products and specializes in out-of-print, all at a price you'll love. And yes, they'll buy your old gaming products as well. Check out the incredible offerings at noblenight.com. Tell them the Tome Show sent you and help make gaming great again. And then our second sponsor is DiceEnvy.com. They are a dice retailer and creator that carefully curates unique dice sets. I've mentioned their subscription services, but if you just want to buy some cool, unique dice, you can do that too. My pick for this episode is, I think would be perfect for a wild magic sorcerer. It's from their Cosmos sets that have all these, like it's, it's multiple colors and then it's covered in sprinkles and whatever that kind of look like stars. Uh, and for less than $12, you can pick up one of those sets. My favorite version is the Mars set because it's kind of a dark, um, you know, galactic color. So it's got these sort of dark with the brownish reddish swirls in it. So you're like looking at nebulas and there's sparkles that look like your stars and you're like staring in space, which is where your magic comes from if you're a wild magic sorcerer, maybe. At least it isn't for my <laughs> wild magic sorcerer in my game. So check them out at DiceEnvy.com and make sure you, you also let them know that the Tome Show sent you. There are a lot of subscription services out there that deliver things right to your door these days. Veggies, movies, meat, pet toys, artisanal jams, collectibles, RPGs, pictures of cool places, music, butter, dice. Wait, what? There is literally only one thing on that list that would make my life complete. A monthly subscription service for dice? Dice Envy has subscription services for dice. They send you a unique set every single month right to your house. Go check out their subscriptions. Or if you just want to go buy some of their unique and interesting dice, head over to DiceEnvy.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Uh, all right. Now it is time to look to the stars, to reach out into the far realms or to reach down maybe into the abyss and figure out wow, how does the sorcerer get its power? There you go. Uh, so we usually like to start with a little bit of history and, and what this class looked like from previous editions and from the sort of the mythology and the lore. And our class history expert is Brandis Stoddard. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of the sorcerer as, as you see it? Well, so the history of the sorcerer is uh, much briefer than with other <laughs> classes that we've covered. Yeah, it is. Um, 
I was just checking one of my second edition books to see if something was going to turn up in an obscure place there. And I'm going to go with no. I really think this class uh, comes into being uh, ex nihilo um, in third edition. Mm-hmm. Um, it it seems that it's sort of a way that some people were playing when they didn't feel like dealing with the uh, complexities of fancy and magic in first and second edition. Sort of, oh, don't worry about uh, preparing each of your spell slots. Just it, it'll be fine. J- yeah. Just you know, spontaneously cast what you got. I mean, I kind of remember that there was a, a. I don't know if there was any official publication of it, but I think I feel like there was at least some house ruling going on in second edition of converting wizards over to spell points. And I know we did it some of my tables, um, I, and that's kind of what I feel like sorcerers became in third edition. Uh, right. It, in books like um, the player's option spells in Magic, there are uh, a variety of different spell point options there you go. for for spell casting, and I think that you can squint and see the sorcerer there, but it's substantially more distant than some of the other classes that were born out of that book. Sure, uh, that's yeah. the first appearance of the warlock, incidentally. But I think the the big appeal of the sorcerer is that it is the flexibility, right? It, like, especially in, like when you went from into third edition and it became its own class, I think the appeal was, well, the wizard gets more options, but the sorcerer has lots of flexibility in terms of what they cast and when they cast it. That's a little yep. bit less true in fifth edition because the wizard has more flexibility than it has in previous editions, as we will discuss in the next episode, I suspect. Um, but, well, but the sorcerer the, has other things going on. Right. The, the function of sorcery points is quite quite enormously flexible anyway um Mm -hmm. in third edition there's very little theme attached to the sorcerer beyond maybe they're dragon blooded um and it kind of stops there um then there are prestige classes that take that in a variety of different directions Mm -hmm. Uh, the theme gets a lot more clear and nailed down when you shift into fourth edition there are two kinds of sorcerers specified in the Player's Handbook 2, uh, and they're familiar to anyone who's read 5th edition, as they are Chaos Sorcerers, otherwise known as Wild Magic Sorcerers, and Draconic Sorcerers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the concept there is very similar, um, except that the 4th edition Chaos Sorcerer is maybe more likely to be uh, as much a liability as an asset to the team uh that was certainly the experience at my table i would venture to say that my very dear friend james got uh quite a lot of flack for some of the (laughs) the chaos that erupted out of that character um and um the, the the function of the class there is very fourth edition ish so comparing it to a fourth edition wizard both is and isn't productive. Just, sure. It's it's fourth edition. It doesn't work like anything else. Well, and they and they were they were fitting these roles in fourth edition, right? So the sorcerer was the answer to how do we make an arcane class that's built to do a lot of damage and the right. w- the wizard was built to how do we let them sort of control the battlefield? They were controllers and strikers. 
Um, well, right, and you have the warlock as a different arcane striker. Sure. And the sorcerer and warlock get there somewhat differently. Um, the sorcerer is dealing you know, more damage on the nail rather than manipulating curses and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I only saw. Uh, uh, so, it, sorry, let me back up and say that storm sorcery also shows up in arcane power. Uh, and it would be very recognizable to someone who's read Storm Sorcery in 5th. Um, Which comes to us from the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, doesn't it? Uh, it shows up in Sword Coast Adventures Guide and also in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Right. And then you get to 5th to edition, and I feel like for 5th edition, the Sorcerer is really a callback to 3rd edition in a lot of ways. Uh, I I generally agree with that, but... I think we can generally say that class structure in fifth resembles third more than fourth. Sure, I think that's fair. Um, my 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 reasoning for that is is that it actually the the fifth edition sorcerer is a callback to third edition in two different ways because on one hand it's trying to emulate the flexibility of the third edition sorcerer, and on another hand it's bringing in meta magic which was a 3rd edition series of feats, uh, which don't exist in 5th edition, but you can still kind of collect the flavor of metamagic through the metamagic of the sorcerer. That's very true. It's very true. Uh, They're kind of salvaging two different elements from 3rd edition. For sure. Uh, Confining metamagic to sorcerers is one of the more surprising moves there, Hmm. but uh, otherwise I agree with you, yeah. Yeah, and I think I don't know. I don't think it's a bad move. Um, you know, I, I feel. I, I feel like. That... I mean, without it, I don't know that the sorcerer has the appeal to stand up to the wizard, especially now that the wizard kind of is moving closer to a sorcerer in terms of flexibility. I think that since every spellcaster has access to uh, automatic heightening through the through just spending a higher level spell slot, mm-hmm. then yeah, it's fine. It's completely yeah. fine. I agree. And we'll get into those features and, and go through all of them. Um, uh, you had something else to say? No, I was just, just going to say I'm completely in love with the automatic heightening. I think that's amazing. Oh. Yeah, no, I think it's worked really well in terms of, of the fl- adding that flexibility to to 5th edition. I think what they discover is um, some of the things that, that gave cl- certain classes a niche in previous editions um, also was oftentimes less fun to, that they had that niche protection, right? The the flexibility that the sorcerer had over the wizard. Well, it's oftentimes not fun to be the wizard that memorized all the wrong spells today, right? Um, mm. and I it, agree with that, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think uh, heightening your spells through metamagic, I think, is another one of those things. Like, boy, it kind of sucks I have all these spells, but all of my low-level ones are, like, completely useless every, every, wherever I go. It would be awesome if I could, if they could you know keep up and being able to heighten them that way is is a way to help them keep up. So very true. So let's talk about the the inspiration for the sorcerer. Where do we see sorcerers in literature, in popular culture, or whatever? What what, what when have we seen sorcerers that are different than than the traditional spellbook carrying wizards? I'm going to argue that one of the main inspirations here is actually um, you know, four-color superhero comics. Okay, explain. I think that I think they're such classic blasters 
uh, of the sort of Human Torch, Iceman, Storm style. Okay. That I, I think that's very much some of the inspiration. I mean, I've had people in my campaigns play sorcerers uh, in a sort of uh, four-color fantasy kind of way, mm. if you know what I mean. Okay. What about uh, the, we haven't heard much from Lewis or Sam? Uh, where do you? What are some examples of sorcerers you've seen in popular culture or literature? Hmm. The first, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, in one sense, the uh, the old Belgiriad stories by uh, uh, what was the what's the author's name? Uh, I can't say it. David Eddings. Yes, David Eddings. Yeah. Um, in that, um, the the protagonist kind of has he's prophesied to have this and that's a like he's prophesied to be this person and he comes from this family line and etc and so on mm -hmm. and uh that's one of the possible sorcerous origins that pops up in the uh in the xanathar's guide mm -hmm. is that you know years and years of systematic breeding or the answer to a prophecy i can't remember exactly what it was but something like that mm -hmm. uh, so that's one thing but then i also thought a little bit about actually the lord of the rings wizards the astari uh, yeah because a lot of their the, they're an interesting mix because gandalf does study and gandalf does learn but i feel like a lot of what they do is not because of what they know but because of who they are mm. yeah that i can see sense? that yeah i can see that uh gandalf's always a tricky one to to pigeonhole because like he's the iconic wizard but if you look at D D. He's not, you know, so yes. other than the hat, you know, he's not really the oh, an iconic <laughs> wizard. That's right. He's got the I look, think, but that's about it. Yeah. I think he's so he embodies what the sort of cultural tradition is. It just in terms of the, a broad swath of people, if you ask them to describe a, a wizard uh, or, or a sorcerer, I don't think they're going to make much of a distinction no, no, between no. the two. I, I think they're going to, you know, describe someone much like Gandalf. Or maybe if they're uh, a bit younger than myself, they might uh, describe some someone that looks like, like Harry Potter. Sure. You know, um, I, I'm not sure if there really are true contemporary examples of someone I could say, oh, that's mm. definitely a sorcerer and not just a... Uh, a slight digression from the traditional wizard. Yeah, see, I yeah. asked the question, but I'm not sure I have a, a specific... I, I, I am certain if I dig through enough fantasy books, there are examples where I could say sure. this is a sorcerer, not a wizard. Mm -hmm. I can't think of any off the top of my head. And the big difference, of course, is that a wizard learns magic and a sorcerer finds the magic in, within themselves. They don't have to take all the time to study it and whatever. They might train on how to tap into it, um, but they they didn't go to a, a wizard school, right? They didn't necessarily have a mentor who taught them the spells and how magic works and all of that. So, you know, Harry Potter is definitely a wizard. He's not a sorcerer. Right, you know? right. But that's but that's yeah. exactly my point, though, is that if you if you ask any general person, even a lot of D and D oh, players, sure. they're they're only going to be able to point to a handful of sort of well known wizardly figures. Mm -hmm. And there aren't that many. Merlin, Gandalf, Harry Potter, 
Right. Uh, and and depending on how well read in terms of fantasy the person is, um, you know, they might be able to come up with a few more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and, and yeah. Merlin's one of those interesting ones, kind of like Gandalf, uh, although even more difficult because there's so many depictions and so many versions of mm-hmm. Gandalf with all the books mm-hmm. and all the TV shows and movies and whatever. And every Gandalf is different. Or, I'm sorry, every Merlin is different. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, Merlin could very easily be a wizard in one book and a sorcerer in another book. And it really comes down to how are, how is he described, yeah. you know? And well, when we did the, the Druid, Druid episode, episode, we were yeah. convinced he was, yeah, we were, he was right. a Druid when we did the Druid episode a while oh, back. Oh, and I can, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely, <laughs> right. I've, I've yes. read those books too. Yeah. yeah. Brandis, you had something so, to say about that? Well, I was going to say that um, you don't usually have uh, – a single work of fiction with a bunch of different contrasting spellcasters running around. Harry Potter is a notable counterexample, except Mm -hmm. that in Harry Potter, all of their magic has the same origin. They're born with it. They're born to be wizards or whatever their, whatever their systemic class is. Mm -hmm. Um, It matters in D and D that you have the contrast of inborn versus learned. Yeah, in Harry Potter, I was even thinking Harry Potter is interesting because in some ways, everybody starts as a sorcerer and then trains to become a wizard. Right. Right? Because the magic is inborn and they kind of start manifesting. And as soon as they start manifesting, you got to go to school and learn like a wizard. Uh, I think well, that and one of the, Hermione one of the, and the Ravenclaws are, are wizards, and everyone else is a sorcerer. Well, you know, the th- but the thing is, one of the central you know uh, problems with the book, or one of the central issues that is uh, is is explored is the muggles versus you know muggle-born wizards versus uh, mm. you know purebloods or whatever and that right there is talking about well what's the origin do they have really have different origins to their magic and if so then maybe there's another distinction there between right. sorcerer and wizard within that group of fictional characters so, so I guess that's the the gist, right? There, we don't know what the specific inspiration is. I think, honestly, I think unlike um, a lot of classes where we can say, you know, the barbarian was them trying to emulate this thing about Conan or Vikings or whatever. <clears throat> you know, the the wizard is trying to make Gandalf and and Merlin and whatever. The uh, ranger. I, yeah. yeah, I think the sorcerer. Yeah lacks that specific inspiration other than the game. I think the sorcerer was inspired by people who wanted to play a wizard or at the time a mage, but wanted more flexibility. And so it sort of came out of that. Yeah. Which, which explains why he doesn't, why the sorcerer class doesn't pop up officially till third edition full blown. I think technically one could argue that, that neither does the wizard, right? Because previous to that, in second edition and before, there was no wizard or sorcerer. There was the mage, the magic user. And then in third edition, the magic user was split into two parts, and the sorcerer uh, got part of it and the wizard got part of it. There you go. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I think, I think uh, the sorcerer has an inspiration that is rooted in the mechanics of D&D more than literature or popular culture. And even not even necessarily to say that in the mechanics, but just in emergent gameplay, you know, obviously there were issues with with magic users and with wizards having, you know, as as we discussed earlier. And so, you know, the way that people were playing, the way that people were house ruling found its way into the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a good example of being responsive to your to your base, you know, exactly. Uh, 
I, I, that's something I really appreciate about the gaming community is how often the tabletop people respond to variants and creative things, whether it's in Magic the Gathering or in uh, other tabletop games. That That's something really cool that happens. There's There's been a lot of give and take over the years in our community mm-hmm. like that. Absolutely. So if I'm, if I'm looking to make a character, and why should I pick a sorcerer? What is it about the sorcerer that makes it stand out that should make me decide that I want to play one? One thing is you get to still sling spells and make things go boom, but without as much bookkeeping as a wizard. Mm. Uh, I'd say that the sorcery points sort of mean there's a different kind of bookkeeping. Um, it's a lot of boom. I mean, <laughs> it is a lot of boom. And yes. a, a twin disintegrate is the be-all and end-all of wrecking someone's day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, when I was so I have a sorcerer in my in the game that I DM, uh, and as I was doing my homework and, and reading through about sorcerers and, and really digging into the meta magic abilities and all that kind of stuff, it occurred to me. I'm like, man, my my player is not like blowing stuff up as much as he could be like i don't know if i'm lucky or not but like he could really be doing this a lot more um if he if he really wanted to uh and he's also a wild sorcerer so i think he's using a lot of his to do other things his sorcery points yeah. to do those other things mm-hmm. that wild sorcerers do but um but yeah so so I, I i don't know that i disagree with with lewis i think you're and i think you're right brandis it's a different kind of bookkeeping but i also feel like it's a pretty darn simple class um I mean, you've got the complexity of spells, and spells always add complexity because there's a lot of options. But if you want to play a spellcaster that's really not complicated, I, I feel like the sorcerer is the absolute way to go on that. Is there a single uh, spellcaster that's that's less complicated than the sorcerer? I mean, Bard has got to be on par, right? The, the spellcasting is so similar. I don't know, but the but they have a, a ton of different bardic abilities and you know counterspell and inspiration and all those other things to to sort of deal with too. Mm. I I'd call it a wash. Okay. Mm. In my first five E group, when five E came out, I had a guy who played a wizard, and uh, boy, it just it just felt like he was always shuffling papers, just always shuffling papers, you know, because because mm-hmm. we we ran that campaign in, in, up into the fifteenth level. Mm-hmm. It felt like he had a briefcase full of stuff to manage. Well, uh-huh. and, and and eventually your spell book gets so big, and you've got so many options, which is the the thing that's awesome about wizards. Right, you yes. got a ton mm-hmm. of options, but it also means right. when it comes time to decide what to do, you've got a ton of options. If right. I'm if I'm playing a a sorcerer, the most spells I'm ever going to know, I guess, is what twenty one, because you get to fifteen normal mm-hmm. spells and six cantrips. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of options, mm-hmm. but you know, it's not a ton. But it's but it's but it's really the same spells over and over that you've in been using the whole time in yeah. a lot of ways. So it's so one of the reasons that I like playing a sorcerer is because. You don't really know the origin of your powers. You can basically reskin any spell mm. and make it really close to whatever your archetype is. So, for example, I play a, a, a shadow sorcerer. Mm-hmm. And so I, the way that I describe any, any effect that I do the first few times that I, that I cast a spell or, or, or a cantrip or anything like that, I describe it with, you know, uh, lots of sort of 
necromantic style Mm -hmm. elements like purplish glow or bluish glow and skull shape you know like if i cast mage hand it's actually a skeleton hand that comes out and it sort of you know creaks and the bones rustle against you know each other as it's Mm -hmm. kind of reaching out things like that just to sort of throw in that flavor if i was uh playing a, a dragon sorcerer i would do something totally different even with the same spell or a wild magic i would do something completely different and the because the origin is a little bit unknown you can play with that as much as you want if that's your preference if not you could just play it as written and and not worry about it and you're those you know that's perfectly fine as well but it does offer that flexibility in terms of descriptive role playing and i would also argue that that is a another reason to play a sorcerer uh, because it also like it's not a warlock level of in, mm-hmm. inserting story into your character like right. every warlock has a story that's begging to be told what's going mm-hmm. on with that patron right but there's right. a story here that can easily be hooked onto with a by a, a clever dm that wants to make this part of the campaign like every single sorcerer like this origin this background and where do you get your powers from um, can absolutely become a part of the campaign. Like I, I did it with my the wild magic sorcerer in my game, where um, it, it turned in, it's turned into a whole thing where uh, his dad was actually part of this this far realm worshiping cult that's summoning star spawns and and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, and and that's and and so the the family ritual that everybody does once a year sometimes in some people like him uh, connects them to the far realm and gives them these weird powers and whatever. And so. Um, you know, it became a whole little side side plot, and you can do that with whichever your your origin is. There's options. There's story elements mm-hmm. that can be hooked onto with a sorcerer that you know a, a fighter battle master doesn't have. You know, like you can tell a story mm-hmm. with a battle master, but the battle master doesn't have an innate story. Right. Yeah, you're not likely to come up with the aliens who dropped you off are now coming to pick you back up with a, with a fighter battle master sort. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like you can in a, of course now I'm back on Disney Escape to Witch Mountain kind of thing, but, but you know but you know what I'm getting at, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right, any other reasons that people should play a sorcerer or should we go ahead and talk about the actual mechanics of sorcerers? Well, they're they're really fun, and I, I think it is a good point that they do have a slightly less, uh, you know, slight less amount of bookkeeping, and not not to beat that dead horse, but you know, if you're if you're not used to playing spellcasters, uh, it's pretty daunting to have so much paperwork to have to mm. shuffle around and deal with and all that. And and it is true, sorcerer is a little bit less, and maybe it's a little bit easier to understand how it works in a way. Yeah. So mm-hmm. is this a is this a good first class for a newer player who wants to get into spellcasting for the first time? Like maybe in a previous campaign they did twelve levels of fighter and now they want to branch out a little more and learn some new things. Is this the spellcasting class for them I to mean, jump into to and, splash around in that pool? And I'm not sure they even have to wait that long to splash into the pool. I think some, but I I think people are generally pretty clever, and I think if they wanted to to jump into their very first character and make it a sorcerer, it's not too complex to do that uh and it also helps that um 
if you compare the spell list, like it's mostly the wizard spell list, but without all those pesky like illusions and divinations and things, right? Right. It's the right, spells right. that that people playing, uh, you know, a lot of times, especially if you're young and it's your first time or whatever, it's the spells you want, right? It's the I'm gonna blow stuff up spells, you know. So, <laughs> right. Well, it, yeah. It's also a, a great class if you want to play to a narrow magic theme, mm-hmm. and you you really just want to live in that one space. Mm-hmm. For example, I've argued before that Elsa from Frozen is a sorcerer. Sure, mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She she does one thing, she does it super, super well, mm-hmm. and she does it in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the I keep going back to the one example I have in my game, but the sorcerer in my game, uh, as much as he's a chaos sorcerer, he's also a fire sorcerer because that's his number one go-to whenever he's picking new spells. And you can, you you can, you can absolutely capitalize on that theme because you don't have a giant library for mm-hmm. spells to pull from you have at most 21 and a third of those are, are cantrips yeah well a little le- more but or less but yeah <laughs> so very slightly less. and yeah and to be honest it's not you know for someone with more experience not the newbie but um it's not really an onerous task to sort of create a new sorcerer type or a new archetype or you know i could see a a person working with their dm to try to sort of make a new sorcerer type that fits that dm's homebrew world or something relatively easier than than maybe it seems yeah i mean certainly be easier than a new class of course sure uh, there's two sorceress origins in the in the player's handbook there's i don't even remember how many in xanathar's guide uh, I think three, three. There's three. So yeah. there's three more there. If you've picked up like the Heroes Handbook from uh, Cobalt Press, there's several more there. And then Brandis has three fantastic ones that you can pick up at Drive Through RPG as well. So there's lots of different options that you could pick up pretty easily to to expand the origin of your sorcerer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if I remember right, there are only are there only four levels where an origin related feature kicks in mm-hmm. anyway so you don't even have to make up that much right, you know, no, right. to tie it into whatever your homebrew flavor is mm-hmm. i'll yeah. also say that if you if you're a really experienced player um and you are willing to pay a lot of pay close attention to the math um you can squeeze an awfully lot of stuff out of the spell point the sorcery point system and uh, creating spell slots with sorcery points like mm. cashing in spell slots and creating higher or lower level ones. So let's get into that. that that's, a, that's a very mechanical point. So let's go ahead and, and get into um, how the sorcerer works, right? We talked about how the number one like key feature of a sorcerer is that it casts spells, but it's more flexible than, than your, your more other spellcasters, right? Um, now, in previous editions, that was accomplished by they've got a handful of spells, but they can just sort of cast whatever they want whenever they want to. Um, right wizards kind of do that now and they were always the the least flexible uh uh spellcasters so that bit of flexibility isn't quite as great but there's still a lot of flexibility right right so you get one sorcery point per level and that's a per long rest resource and you can either spend those on your metamagic options or you can turn them directly into spell slots and just have more juice. Right. Um, it winds up, you know, I think a little bit better off than a wizard's arcane recovery feature. But then you can also um, turn spell slots 
into sorcery points so that you can move around where you have the spell slots that you need. Right. So I've got, you know, I can cast, uh, like, let's say I'm 10th level, I can cast uh, four first level spells, three second, third, and fourth level spells, and two fifth level spells um, before I need to take a break, right? Right. Uh, but if you run out of those fourth level spells, but you really need one here, you can burn a bunch of first level spells that you never used. I'm not going to use those magic missiles. Let's get rid of them. That gives me enough sorcery points. I can start to buy back some of using the, the sorcery points to 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 get back my uh, my fourth levels because I need to pull off this one more thing or else we're all stuck here. Right. And, uh, right. I think, and it's I think, fairly lossy. Yeah. No, go ahead, man. Uh, it's it's fairly lossy. Um, you're you're suffering from inefficiency if you are turning slots into sorcery points and sorcery points into slots. Right, that's true. That's right. Uh, but but it does provide the flexibility if you need it. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Because often you see higher level wizard type guys in battles. They they burn up all those top spell slots and. You know, they're looking and they're, they say things like, all I've got is four first level spots now or slots or something like right. that. And in their minds, at the, when they're when you're a higher level, those are throwaways. Right. You know? Or you're and quickly they're... reduced to throwing cantrips around because you right. you're all out of the, your big spells. Yeah. So, yeah, so it has that. Uh, and, and generally speaking, I mean, their spell casting is, is already fairly flexible. Like we said, they have a very limited spell list option of options and a limited number of spells they can know. Um but those spell points provide the extra flexibility. It also provides access once they hit third level to the meta magic that we referred to before. Uh, and meta magic is sort of their conversion from third edition meta magic feats, where you could just take a feat and allow you to do this thing every now and then. Uh, but it made the spell what was it? it? Made the spell higher level. Yep. Um, but this time you're not changing the level of the spell or whatever but you can pump your sorcery points in to just make it a better spell like you can make it shoot further you can make it last longer you can make it uh go faster you know i can do this and then still have my i can make it a bonus action and then still have my my time left right i can i like you said you can twin it so you can you know if you're casting what is um disintegrates what six level uh, i think so so I say I'm casting Disintegrate, I can then burn six of my sorcery points, and now my one casting of Disintegrate becomes two Disintegrates, and I can zap a couple people. Look, when you need to kill everybody in the room, that's what you <laughs> Pardon my French. Pardon my French. Yeah, and can you target the same person? No, but... No, it, ha it has to split. Yeah, it has to split. That's a lot of killing all the same. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and... Yeah, I mean... That's got a ton of, of potential, and that's one of the, the meta magic abilities that the uh, the sorcerer in my group does does fairly regularly. Oh, right. you got to. That's that is clearly the best of all those, at least in my opinion, uh, of all the the possibilities. Right. You pick oh. two when you start that, and you're going to take that and something else. But I can't right. imagine someone not taking that. Now, Brandis, right. do you have a different opinion? Oh no, I was going to say that a, a twin haste is a a real game changer. Hmm. Uh, because it's, it's a single concentration, but ah, people haste it. That's a good, that's a good point. So it, yeah. so you only have to concentrate once because it because it counts as the same spell, does it? Yeah, right. I, I hadn't thought through that. That's interesting. It it, it just lets you target a second person. It Excellent. isn't a, se a separate spell. That's interesting. 
So the one the ones that that I think used to be really useful and and aren't necessarily as much because of the way the spellcasting works in fifth edition, and it, for good reasons, are things like quickened, right? Uh, and, and it's the same thing as, as hasting your spellcaster because the way the game is structured now, you, even if you you have the a- action left, you still can't cast a second spell. You can't cast more than one spell in, in a round. Um, well, you can, right. you can toss off a cantrip and as I, your firebolt you, or whatever steps I suppose, up. I suppose. That, that doesn't suck. Nope, that, that, that's true. That's the other yeah. one that one of the sorcerers in my game uses a major go-to. There you go. Sure. Oh yeah, this this sort of thing is very much like my image of this is halfway between a wizard and a, an old-fashioned cowboy two-gun gunslinger. Mm. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Especially if we get into the into the uh, the storm sorcerer who can also be jumping around, flying around ten feet at a time while he's doing all that uh-huh. stuff. Yeah, that's just some very cool John Wick, except we're shooting laser beams out of our hands kind of stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's what almost a... it's almost very anime in the in the oh, in sure. the evoked image. There, it's very very airbender kind of thing. You know, mm. yes, guys, that's guys, it. her name is Aurora Monroe. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's who you want here. That's right. And I think one of the meta magics that I haven't seen used a lot, and maybe it's just my table, but I think careful spell has a lot of potential. Like it's not. But it's because it's so cheap, right? It's only one sorcery point to use it. And it's not as good as having the ability that you could pick up. I think it's through a feat, right? To just exclude certain people from your fireball or whatever. That's the, the evocation the wizard can. Yeah. yeah. But but it, it at least says, hey, I'm, I'm going to hit you with a fireball, but I'm going to spin this one sorcery point and you're guaranteed to, to make the save. Right? You're guaranteed that to mean, take the half damage. Yeah. And that means the rogue's going to be fine. Well, in that yeah, situation, because yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. right. once he's up a few levels, if he makes his save, he's he's golden. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Yeah, yeah. And also, there are a bunch of AOEs that are no effect on a successful save. Uh, I mm. don't remember offhand if sorcerers get confusion, but that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of here. Right, or color spray, or that kind of stuff. Right, mm. and they do have color, color spray. Hit point based, but they do have yeah. color spray. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm glancing at the the spell list now. Right, yes. <laughs> me too. So so we all got real quiet there. Be, be, I resisted <laughs> the urge. There you go. My book is standing is sitting right here next to me, and I'm like, I'm not opening it. I'm not opening it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always like to have it in front of me so I can reference things. But um, so beyond that, I mean, that's basically all there is to the sorcerers class abilities until you get into the the origins, the different archetypes and builds. Uh, it's just spell points. It's meta magic, and then then you get the regular ability score improvements that everybody sort of gets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- their twentieth level uh, class ability is not nearly as like oh my gosh, wow, as some other classes. But for what they can do uh, with all their meta magic abilities, getting back four expended sorcery points at the end of every short rest is not nothing, right? You can that means. That's you know an extra use of, of a twin to spell every combat or whatever. Or with two short rests, another fifth level spell slot. I mean, right, that's not a go. joke. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't even think about that because it's every short rest. So if you just took an hour mm-hmm. or two hours or whatever and got multiple short rests in, uh, you can you can effectively just recharge all of your sorcery points uh, if you just wait long enough, right? Yep. yep. I didn't even think about that. I, I wasn't even thinking about doing more than one short rest at a time. That's a good point. Uh, so yeah, a, a oh, lot of the uh, 20th level recharge features 
require you to be on empty to gain the benefit, but right. this one doesn't. Yep. So beyond that, then they have their specific builds, and Sorcerer is unique, uh, sort of like the... Cl so I guess it's not unique if it's like something else, right? <laughs> but, but, but it's different than most classes uh, in the same way that the, the Cleric is, and that I guess uh, what Warlock does this too, right? There's a few of them, where you don't have to wait until third level to get your, your, your build sort of features, uh, and that, and and that makes a lot of sense in terms of story, right? A cleric has their god at the beginning and has access to those things. A, a warlock from the beginning has a patron, so it would make sense that you start flavoring it right away. And the sorcerer, the sorcerer's magic comes from a specific source, you know, from from day one. So it makes sense that it would start affecting things at the beginning. Uh, and there's two options: there is the draconic bloodline, and there is the wild magic sorcerer. Yes. And if we if we talk about Draconic Bloodline first, now we get into yet another reason you might choose to play a sorcerer rather than a wizard is mm. specifically the Draconic Bloodline one is not nearly as physically squishy. Yeah. He, he can't dish out a lot of melee damage, but with the uh, Draconic Resilience that he has, his just, just overall, he's a much more robust person. Mm -hmm. If you want a sorcerer... Uh, if you want to play a spellcaster who's not afraid to occasionally uh, be on the front lines or whatever, uh, a draconic bloodline sorcerer is probably a good way to go. Yeah, he can take a lot more punishment. Right. They get a bonus to, to hit points. They get a bonus to armor. Uh, and, you know, by, what was it, 14th level, they get to fly. So then it's even easier to stay out of the fight, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And they can spend sorcery points to gain damage resistance to their... Um to their draconic damage type which is super nice to have right and i was looking at the the dragon wings thing that you get at, at 14th level when i was doing my homework and it and it i noted it does not have a a feature like many of the such things where you know it, you can do it once per rest or whatever like you can just grow the wings whenever you want to as a bonus action so long as your you know your attire your armor and whatever is is able to accommodate your wings um, as long as you want to destroy your clothes. Right. Yep. So you can just have wings and fly whenever you feel like it. And then yep. when it's inconvenient to have wings, you can just be like, okay, they're gone now. Turn them off, yep. And you're never wearing armor normally because you're, you're, the sorcerer is not proficient in any armor class. And so he right. can't wear armor and cast spells anyway, typically. And, and yet has a decent armor class because, of the, because it's got scales. Yes, that's right. So, And then they've also got the elemental affinity uh, bits, right? The, the bits that matter... If you uh, about what where your dragon ancestry is from, right? If you're if you're red or silver or brass or whatever, this is where that matters because um, it starts to give you uh, bonuses based off of um, where your ancestry is from in terms of damage types and that kind of stuff. Yes, yeah. having charisma as a damage kicker is real nice to have, especially when sorcerers are charisma based, right? So your charisma is going to be decently high at that point. Uh, plus, uh, you can pick up resistance using sorcery points, right? Yes. Which is not nothing. I, I, I really suspect that if they were designing this sorceress origin now, you wouldn't spend sorcery points to get that resistance. You just have it. You just have it? Why do you say that? Uh, well, go look at Storm. Oh. And how they just have it. Okay. You know? Mm. Like, it isn't like you can pick a different damage type day by day. You just mm. have the one you have. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's true that this feature does a, another thing also. I'm just guessing. I don't yeah. know. Just guessing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, if they were willing to just give it to that one subclass, you'd think they would be the other. But of course, the difference is the storm one. I I think has kind of a dead level in its in its leveling. But we, we'll we'll talk about that when we get to it. Well, you can talk about it now because we don't yeah. we don't normally explicitly range outside of the player's handbook. Okay. So if you want to talk about it, go for it. Gotcha. Well, just I think as I mean, I never play. I I would love to play, but I never play. <laughs> <laughs> but. uh so, Jeff, if you end up getting a job in this part of the world, I'm going to come play with you. There you go. There I you go. Play, <laughs> I, I am the eternal DM, like many of us probably are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, But if I were a player, the, the one disappointing thing, because I think the Storm Sorcerer is awesome in everything except the, the feature where um, the he gets to subtly control the weather around him. He can make it stop, stop raining in a 20-foot radius, or mm. he can control the direction of the wind, but not the the intensity of the wind. Like, right. from a player action scene perspective, that's pretty flat. You know, I, I, mean, I, don't, I think most players wouldn't care about that too much. I mean, it's a really cool, like, flavor thing, but it's not, oh, yeah. not going to yeah. change the, the course of combat. Story, yeah, in a nautical story, he's the MVP of the ship. Oh, sure. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but in every other, I just I, I, I just know my players would be like, about that and with, mm-hmm. if they hit that level. Okay. It's definitely true that that's intended to be a what they call a ribbon feature rather than a, uh, a breadwinner. Mm-hmm. So anything else about uh, Draconic Bloodlines before we talk about Wild Magic? Hmm. All right, so let's talk about wild magic. So the wild magic sorcerer, instead of getting the, the their magic and their power from the, the draconic blood that's somewhere in their ancestry, uh, wild magic sorcerers get their, their power from the forces of chaos, uh, whether that be the Far Realm or Limbo or the Abyss or whatever. Um, and it, it's basically... I mean, there's been versions of this uh, concept in classes since forever, right? It's the Wild Mage. It's it's that kind of stuff. Yep. Wild Mages certainly go back to the second edition Tome of Magic, if not yeah. earlier than that. Right. Uh, and so the idea is just that, like, you, you can do stuff, but, you know, occasionally the random effects are going to happen, too. Uh, the Wild Magic one is one that I feel like... Um, the play if a player wants to play a wild magic sorcerer they should probably talk to the dm and talk through the features first and make sure you have a really good understanding of what rolling an 8 on the d100 is going to do to you and the party <laughs> that's right <laughs> this is important yeah. yes mm-hmm. yeah your poor second level party just gets utterly smoked sure yep that's yep. game yeah. yeah and we're done <laughs> In some ways, it's like uh, 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 throwing a deck of many things into the mix, you know. Yeah, and and so people uh, aren't aren't confused. Uh, every now and then, uh, source wild magic sorcerers pull off these these wild magic surges, right? Um, and so the wild magic surge table then is a is a percentile table with a bunch of different effects. And if you roll that seven or eight, that means that you've just cast fireball centered on you. Which means yes. probably you and your whole party suddenly got blasted by a fireball uh, that you weren't expecting and you didn't plan on casting. Uh, now it's a third level fireball. It's probably it may not be the end of the world, but it's certainly um, possibly a problem. Eighty six is bad news for a whole lot of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And but they're not all the things on the chart are not that. I mean, one of them is like you turn into a potted plant for a minute or something, <laughs> which effect effectively removes you from the game mm -hmm. because you know combat rounds are only six seconds long. So if you turn into a potted plant for more than six seconds, you're basically out until right. a short rest passes. And, and you know. the, the reason I say you need to talk to your DM though is because of this feature. The the wild magic surge feature says that. Anytime you're casting a spell first level or higher, the DM may choose to make you make a, a wild magic check, which means you roll a d20, and if it's a one, there's a wild magic surge. Uh, and so the DM has to have some agency of when do I have them roll, when don't I have them roll, mm -hmm. and what have you. And then the next one, Tides of Chaos, uh, basically allows your, your what is it, you you can gain advantage on, on a roll, Um but then you can't get that back until you do a long rest unless the DM decides that you do a wild magic surge uh, on something uh, without having to make a roll, not a check, just you do a wild magic surge, uh, but then you get that ability back, right? So there's a, a, a bit of agency there with the DM, which can be kind of cool, but can also be like, oh my gosh, I have to remember this thing all the time on top of all the stuff I have to remember as a DM. So yes. So, yes. so what, what I did in my game, uh, I had a player who was playing a sorcerer, mm -hmm. and he really wanted to play the wild magic sorcerer because he, he just thought it was going to be fantastically fun he enjoyed the sort of randomness mm -hmm. of, of the ideas so basically we just i just had him roll for a wild magic search every time he cast a spell no that, because that's... the thing is when, when you roll you still have to roll a one yes to actually have the surge right, right? Yeah. So, so i'd have him roll a check every time that is that is precisely i mean other than cantrips that is precisely what i did my, my rule yeah. was anytime you cast a spell first level or higher you're going to make a, a check because it's only on a one so it's not going to happen very often and honestly right. like the fun of the wild magic sorcerer is rolling up those random effects so i want it to happen as often as possible yeah so. And more often than not, it actually helped the rest of the party. Oh, it almost so, always does. I think. Yeah. I think the the go to. I mean, the not go to because he doesn't get to choose. But almost every time uh, my wild magic sorcerer has had a surge uh, happen, it's almost always ended up summoning something. Which worst case scenario <laughs> is a flump that just floats around and watches the fight and doesn't care. Uh, and and best case scenario is a unicorn in the underdark that tromps around and destroys all the giant spiders. <laughs> yep fair enough yeah. so so yeah so uh, now the tides of chaos one is a little trickier for me as a dm that that runs uh, a game with a wild magic sorcerer because i don't oftentimes think of it but the player is oftentimes pretty good about asking hey i've used this feature today do you think this is a situation where i might get it back like is is the the mm -hmm. the nature of the chaoticness of our location the fact that we're in fair's rest in the underdark the fact that um, we're near a portal to the abyss, whatever. Is that enough to, to recharge that and make a, make a thing happen? In which case, almost always I say yes. It, why would you ever say no to a player who wants to possibly blow themselves up? <laughs> well, right. Yeah. <laughs> who are you? Yeah. <laughs> Something's going to happen. <laughs> for, for sure. And for me as a DM, I, just, I can't decide if I think that's amusing or terrible. Yeah. Just because of the kind of DM I am, or at least the kind of human being I am, I'm a bit of a control freak, and I hate <laughs> for, you know, I, I I tend to over plan and kind of stress myself out, and that kind of thing sounds like my nightmare, but it also sounds so dang funny. Yeah, see, know? see, I tell you, I, I have 
since I was a, a, a wee lad the, playing D&D, one of my favorite <laughs> things in the game has always been the Wand of Wonder, the Deck of Many Things. I mm-hmm. think my favorite session of running the, the Out of the Abyss storyline was the last session I had where they ran into the maze engine where every single round a percentile roll determines a random thing that happens. Like the, And I had to tweak some of them because some of them were pretty hardcore. But still, like it's it's... That that's a lot of fun to me because weird yeah. things happen and and that becomes uh, exciting. The fun, mm. the funniest thing that ever happened in the game that I was running was the the player rolled he rolled a one so he had a surge he rolled seventy seven which is you cast polymorph on yourself if you fail the saving throw you turn into a sheep for the spell's duration <laughs> so in the middle of this battle with a cyclops. He turned into a sheep, <laughs> and I went all mythology on him, and I right. was like, the Cyclops looks over and sees a sheep, grabs the sheep up, and runs away back to his cave. Sure. <laughs> so the party had to go chase this Cyclops that they yeah. were previously trying to kill. So, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun, but you have to be in the right mindset for that, and you have to have players that will go with it. Right. Otherwise, it could really be a game stopper, just like the Deck of Many Things and the Wanda Wonder and all the all those great, interesting things we're talking right. about. You know, sometimes those things make for the most fun session, the most memorable, weird thing that happened. But if you're at a really serious moment in a campaign when you're negotiating with the evil necromancer and, you know, you're negotiating between, you know, two horrible choices, but you're, you know, whatever – and then somebody turns into a sheep like, you know, I mean, it's not I don't know. You have to be ready for that. And it has to be OK. Right. Uh, yeah. Anybody who's not sure about crazy, weird, random effects in their game, I suggest you go on YouTube and you search for R.A. Salvatore Wubba Wubba. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories. Right. And he and R.A. Salvatore, uh, author of, of the Driss novels. Uh, tells the story from his campaign when somebody, I think it was the second edition campaign, when somebody gets a hand a handle on uh, the Wand of Wonder and the shenanigans that, that follow from that. Yeah. Um, so I think I even got him to tell that story on a recording of the Tome Show if you if you know where to find it. But, but you know, it's out there. It's easy to find. Uh, so anything, anyway, uh, Wild Magic Sorcerers. Anything else about Wild Magic Sorcerers? We mostly talked about the crazy Wild Magic Surge because that, I feel like, is iconic to the wild magic sorcerer, but they have other abilities too. Yeah. I think, I think bend luck is a very cool ability. Very bard like, um, yeah, six level. I, yeah. Uh, I think, uh, I think the tides of chaos thing is great. Uh, and just, it's just, I think it's a really, all the other powers are really cool and don't make me nervous. It's just that one. <laughs> that <laughs> well, and, and the, the controlled chaos uh, that you get at 14th level actually helps mitigate that. Right. That's right. Because right. then, then the the chaos, the chaos sorcerer, the and wild magic spell bombardment at eighteenth. And tell us about that. So I was going to say spell bombardment at eighteenth, with um, uh, making some of your spell dice explode is pretty impressive. Yeah, exploding dice is is one of those things that that is iconic to certain games and can create some craziness. Um, it it's not typically been a D and D thing. Uh, and this adds a little bit of the fun of exploding dice without it being as quite as crazy. Um, right. It's because it only explodes once. Exploding, but. Uh, so the idea of exploding dice, for anybody who, who isn't aware, is that if you roll the maximum number on a die, you get to roll it again and add it. Now, in some games, you can do that like infinitely. 
So as long as you keep rolling sixes on the D6, they just keep exploding forever and you end up with really crazy large numbers, right? Uh, right. Torg is actually built to ha explode on both a 10 and a 20 on a D20 roll. Um, but there's specific things that you can't do in the game unless you get a check that's over like 60, which is really hard to do if you don't explode a few times. Um, this adds in some of that. Spell Bombardment is 18th level. Um, the Wild Magic Sorcerer starts to be able to explode their damage dice. Whatever dice they're rolling for damage, anytime they roll the maximum on that die number, they get to roll again and add to it, but only one time. The reroll doesn't get to, to, add, to keep exploding. But that can also mean that they explode a lot bigger. And, and you never know when it's going to happen, right? You can't count on it. So it, it, it helps with that flavor of the wild magic. So, other thoughts about the mechanics of the sorcerer before we talk about uh, playing sorcerers. Uh, well, just to touch on Xanathar's Guide super quickly... Um, I think that it's worth mentioning the. Uh, it's not called Favored Soul anymore. It's what Divine Origin, Divine it's Bloodline. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, it used to be the Favored Soul class. It's uh, I cast cleric spells like a sorcerer, or in this case, I can pick up a few spells from the cleric list, even though I'm still primarily a sorcerer. Right. It's a sorcerer uh, that gets to do a little bit of like healing and stuff, and mm -hmm. can certainly be the party's primary healer. Could be. It's it's. It doesn't take that many spells to be a primary healer. That's right. Any, and I guess we're knocking on an hour's time here, right? So, um, I, and we've covered a lot of the sort of tips and tricks of, of what you want to consider when you're playing one, why you might want to play one sort of covers a lot of this as well. So, so what other just sort of last random thoughts do we have? Things that you want to make sure we talk about that we haven't talked about yet when it comes to the Sorcerer. Who's got last thoughts they want to share first? Hmm. <laughs> so we've covered I it think all. I'm, yeah <laughs> i think it's pretty close sam did you say you're playing one now yeah i i play in a game every couple of weeks where i'm playing a cobalt sorcerer mm -hmm. and he's a shadow magic so, he's a shadow magic so sorcerer, what, what did you yeah. reskin to make him shadow magic well or, the, or that, the that's an origin shadow that's an origin in the yeah. xanathar's guide they've got a bunch of shadow things in xanathar's yeah. don't they yeah the, uh, the sorcerers in my campaign, there's one shadow sorcerer and then uh, two sorcerers from my PDF that uh, we've been kind enough to mention a few times, uh, the uh, the royal sorcerer. Um, so so what, 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 are the, the, what are the new origins you have in your PDF? So I offer royal sorcery, which is a melee-friendly sorcery that is also very much about uh, royal presence and uh, kingly power. And okay. then um, title sorcery, which is all about the, the sea and uh, some of the chaos of the tides. Oh, title with a, with a D. Title, T-I-D-A-L. <laughs> I was thinking oh. title like T-I-T-L-E and I'm like, how's that different than royal? But okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he goes, uh, he sells real estate. Yeah. <laughs> there <Right>? you go. <laughs> um, and finally, the Winterkin, who are uh, you know, ice sorcerers. Okay. Um, I'm, if you wanted to look at title sorcery as being Moana and Winterkin as being Elsa, Elsa, then you know who I'm appealing to. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I think that uh, writing uh, Disney princesses as D&D &D classes and subclasses is the way to go. 
There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, inspiration there. Recruit, right. recruit, recruit. There you go. There you go. Awesome. Uh, any other last thoughts on the sorcerer class? Think they're cool. I, I I regret I haven't had a single one at my table since Five mm. E came out in summer 2014. I haven't had a single person wow. in any game anywhere that I've run campaigns or cons or anything else. I have literally not had a single sorcerer come to the table. That's so, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping we're about to start a new campaign in the next couple of weeks, and I'm hoping one of my players will pick a sorcerer to run. And you're what you're going to do is you're going to sit down and say, "This is the all sorcerer game." Uh, <laughs> Here, here's five or twenty different origins. You can all flavor yourselves very differently. So go out and play sorcerers. <laughs> the Justice League. There you go. <laughs> you know. Uh, so one last thing about it. I, um, one of my friends uh, has referred to sorcerers forever as well you know since third edition as the poor man's magic user the poor man's wizard mm. um it's just that's sort of his sort of you know poking at the idea but basically his thought was they're just easier to play because of the different flexibility with casting spells and whatnot mm. but uh it strikes me that if somebody wanted to play a sorcerer but wanted to have the sort of feel of a of the traditional magic user like a Gandalf or a Merlin or whatever, you could completely just play the sorcerer as though he was like a traditional, mm-hmm. you know, gray robed ma- magic user magician with a pointy hat. Absolutely. Um, now the origin of his powers is different, and he doesn't have to you know memorize and do those things. But you know, so much of that relies on actual role playing and not game mechanics that you could actually present your character however you want, but still get the flexibility of sorcerer points mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, Critical yeah. Role is a good example of that with uh, Tiberius Stormwind. There you go. Now I'm going to go ahead and call that the end of this episode. And we would like to say thank you to noblenight.com and DiceNV.com, our two wonderful sponsors, and to Brandis. Brandis, where can we find you on the internet? I am at www.brandisstoddard.com I am at tribality.com and I am at Brandis Stoddard B-R-A-N-D-E-S S-T-O-D-D-A-R-D on Twitter Excellent and Lewis where can we find you on the internet? Easiest way to find me is at Twitter at at Rev Lewis L-O-U-I-S Brenton B-R-E-N-T-O-N Excellent. And thank you both for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have you on the episode. I always have a good time with you guys. Uh, and also thank everyone for supporting the show by shopping from our affiliate links when you use Amazon.com or the DMs Guild. Uh, and being a patron uh, of the show at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show. If you want to get a hold of me or the show in general, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. I receive those. You can also reach out to Sam. He is on Twitter as DM Samuel. Uh, I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. And there, the show also has a Twitter at The Tome Show, which, you know, if I'm being honest, is also me. <laughs> <laughs> and that is episode 308, where we tapped into the power passed down to us from our ancestors. And we blasted everyone with a magical ray of podcasting in this episode of... You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D and D.
D to the R to the A gun S D and D The dungeon master sets up a scenario Then he or she asks Where would you like to go? We talk as a group Then decide together There's no winning, yo We could play forever Stay right there Let me answer your questions I'll clear up all your misconceptions Stay right there Let me answer your questions I'll clear up all your misconceptions You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D Unless you want to Like me You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D Unless you want to Like me You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D You don't dress up to play D and D Unless you want to Like me, you don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. Like me, I'm on the wall.